You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's a great blessing to be with you this evening. And so greetings from the brethren in Modesto, California. Now, those of you who are here tonight and uh, expecting to see Pastor Joe teach and you're disappointed, you're not the only one. I'm not entirely happy to be teaching here this evening myself. I'm pretty happy. I'm just not entirely happy. Here's my problem. I teach on Sunday nights the overview through the Scriptures, and I am writing in Pastor Joe's draft. I just finished with Deborah and Barak. You know you guys are just through with Gideon, maybe a little bit beyond that. So I'm killing myself by being here tonight. When I turn to the web page and I see the Wednesday night and there's a guest speaker, and it means I'm catching up to him and maybe going to pass him, and I can't listen to his studies, it really galls me. This week, to see my own name as a part of my undoing is going to be doubly galling, but we will trust the Lord to meet with us this evening. Let's stand together and turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. It will pick things up in verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. We thank you for every intent behind its being in your word. We thank you for the part that it plays in each of our lives as Christians to causing us to be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And Lord, we pray that every design of yours, every purpose of yours behind this passage, by your Holy Spirit, that it would be accomplished in our lives this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would make this passage a great friend to us, Lord, in our walk and our relationship with you. And I ask it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the book of Numbers, God is speaking to a wandering people. He is speaking to his people. And there is a very, very real sense in which the volume of the book, the entirety of the Bible, is written to a wandering people. Because wherever you run into God's people, anywhere you run into them all over this world, you're running into a people who are strangers in this world. They are pilgrims in this world. We are people who are very far from home until one day we find ourselves 
in our heavenly destination, our heavenly home, the glory of heaven itself. And because the Lord knows this to be the condition of his people in this world, he knows that we are a people who are in need of a special blessing. As Christians, we face all of the things that everyone else faces in this fallen world. We face the threat of violence. We face the threat of crime. We face the threat of war. We face the threat of economic downturns and layoffs. We have a need for daily bread. We have a need for clothing. We face the threat and the reality of physical uh, illnesses. We face the challenges in our own personal relationships with one another, within our families, within our marriages, in the raising of children. But on top of all of that, the child of God also faces many things that those that do not know the Lord do not face. We face persecution for our faith. We face a rejection and sometimes a great isolation in our lives because of our faith in Christ. We face mocking. We face a constant pressure to compromise God's Word in our lives. We face a very, very real daily spiritual warfare. And on and on you could go in finishing that list for yourself. And thus the Lord knows that as pilgrims, we are in need of supernatural strength and power, which he gives to us by his Holy Spirit. We are in need of supernatural wisdom and truth, which he supplies to us through his word. But he also knows us to be a people who are in need of a supernatural encouragement. And in this passage, we have the Lord himself telling Moses to instruct the priests regarding the blessing that he wanted to be regularly pronounced over his people at the conclusion of every spiritual meeting associated with him. Now, at that time in Jewish history, the people met at the tabernacle at least once a day, at least every morning in order to worship the Lord, in order to offer sacrifice to the Lord on special days of the year or on special days of the week, they would eat meat at the tabernacle multiplied times in a given day. And therefore, this, this is obedient worshipers of the Lord in coming to the tabernacle to obey God in this way, they would hear this benediction at least once a day, every day of their life. And it was as if God was saying, I want them to hear this so often that they know it frontwards, they know it backwards, they know it sideways. I want it to be etched into the deepest part of their hearts and their minds. I want them to hear it until it becomes a part of them. And in this blessing, there is a reassurance of six things concerning the Lord, six things that he wants his people to be continually reminded of concerning himself, even daily reminded of 
concerning himself. I think with so much that works against us as God's children in this fallen world, God knows that if we were even to creep toward the idea that God was also against us or to begin to disbelieve the degree to which he is for us, we would maybe lapse into hopelessness or to lapse into despair. First, they were to declare over this God's people, verse 24, the Lord bless you. And the first thing that God wanted them to be constantly reminded of is that he is a blessing God. He is a God who blesses his people. And he wants us to be reassured of this constantly, to have the reassurance of his provision, that our God is a providing God. And the Lord wants us as his people to be regularly reminded of the fact that he will provide for our physical needs. We have daily needs, and thus he knows we have a need to be regularly reminded of the fact that he will meet those needs. He wants us to be constantly reassured that while the path that we're on is not the easiest one to walk on in this world, it is the path of blessing. Our God is eager to bless us. He loves to bless us. He will bless us. And the Lord wants us as his children to have a sanctified boldness about that. I know it, that there are those that teach today a prosperity message and these kinds of things that can sometimes, for someone like me, I don't say that this is true of you, but it can cause someone like me, out of a desire not to be associated with the error of their extreme, to maybe take the pendulum and take it too far in the other direction. God wants us, as his children, to be absolutely confident of the fact that he is a blessing God and he desires to bless us and that he will bless us. David said in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I'm old. How many of you recognize it? <laughs> and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. I'll tell you, I recognize that psalm, and I, I know I have been young. That's past tense for me. I'm not quite willing to accept that I'm old yet, but I, I get what David's saying. Some time ago, I was thinking in this vein a little bit about what I would say to my children at the appropriate time and or say to my grandchildren now the things that I've kind of learned the hard way over the years in walking with the Lord, or the things that I would do differently if I had a chance to do it all over again. I know for sure one of the things that I would tell them would be a warning against anxious thought. Every moment I have spent worrying as a Christian has been a complete an utter waste of time. I bear witness tonight to the fact that in every 
situation, the Lord proved himself to be a blessing God. Now, that isn't to say that he has always done things the way that I wanted him to do them. But he has always done what was best, and time revealed it to be the best. And I have always found that when he has said no to one thing in my life, it has always been in order to do something better, and time revealed it to be so. And I would say to every Christian, but especially to every younger person, that because of the heart of God toward us, any time spent in anxious thought is a total waste of time. Better to pray, better to read our Bible, and then to cry out in praise, my God is a blessing God. And the New Testament teaches it just as powerfully. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and said, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, here it is, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Second, they were to declare, and the Lord keep you. In other words, the Lord wants us to be constantly reassured of the fact that our God is not only a blessing God, but that he is a keeping God. And we need that reassurance because we live in a very dangerous, very fallen world. The Hebrew word for keep here, it means to keep, to watch, to hedge, about, to guard. And in ancient times, for a city to have a wall around it was a tremendous advantage in the case of an attack. And that's why homes that were located on the inside of a walled city were much more expensive than homes that were located outside of a walled city. Protection has always been considered a valuable thing in this fallen world. And here is God declaring himself to be a living, divine wall of protection around our individual lives. That is the ultimate protection that a person can possess. That is a protection that allows us as his people to be at rest in the middle of a very dangerous world. Now, maybe you are in need of special reassurance this evening concerning this. The worship team felt we were because they sang from this psalm this evening. Write down if you are in that place this evening, Psalm 121, and read it more fully for yourself later on. But let me read part of it to you this evening. The psalmist writes and says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. So it isn't just anybody. <laughs> it's an Alex or Joe. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out 
and your coming in from this time forward and even forevermore. And Jesus gives reassurance concerning the same great truth. In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed to the Father, and he said, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be as one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. And those who you gave me, I have kept, and none has been lost except the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. John chapter 6, Jesus declared, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. From the day that we believe in him until the time that we go to be with him, he will not lose us. He will keep us and be faithful to do so. And just as with the apostles, there comes a time to go home to heaven, but that only occurs after our ministries are finished. And even there and then his arm isn't short, but he keeps us right through the experience of death and takes us straight into the glory of heaven. Our Lord wants his people to be regularly reminded that he is a keeping God. Third, they were to declare, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord wants his people to be constantly reminded of the fact that when he thinks about us or when he looks at us, he smiles. That's what the image is here. The image is, is of one of him smiling, of his face beaming toward us. A shining face is a face that is pleased. It is the face of one who is thoroughly enjoying his company. It's a grandpa's face. I'm an authority on this because I'm a grandpa. I have four grandchildren, three of them. They're almost nine years old, and uh, one of them is almost seven. Lots of birthdays at summertime for us. Blessed with these, these grandchildren. And so I have a little bit of experience with this when I tell you that a smiling face is a grandparent's face. There's something kind of funny that happens to a person when they become a grandparent. Maybe some of you could say amen to that. It's inexplainable, really. Before you become a grandparent, you don't get it. You can't get it. I remember before I became a grandparent, I'd pull up to stoplights, and I'd be behind a car, and they'd have a license plate holder that would say something like, ask me about my grandchildren. And I would think to myself, why would this person think I have the slightest interest in their grandchildren? <laughs> Much less 
any desire to ask them about their grandchildren. And I just think to myself, these people are out of control. They've got to get some kind of a life to think that the rest of the world is interested in their grandchildren. I mean, don't they have anything else to think about? Have they no shame with what they will put on their car, these bumper stickers and license plate holders? Then I became a grandparent. My attitude changed completely. And what you become as a grandparent is, it's kind of a sickness. It's a virus. Don't get angry with these people. They're to be pitied. It's way beyond, it's way beyond their ability to control. It's way beyond their ability to explain to anyone that doesn't understand. It is incurable. It can't be helped. I have the incredible privilege of being able to see my grandchildren regularly. And I am thankful to the Lord for that. There's no airline ticket involved in seeing them, and I know that that's not so for everyone. And when I see my grandchildren, and I walk in from day one to walk into any room that they were in, I mean a smile upon my face, absolutely involuntary. All dignity goes out the window for grandparents. Doesn't matter how the world esteems you, how they see you, you don't care. You got one of them in your arms, you sing silly songs. Songs that you make up at the moment. You dance with them. You do crazy things. You don't care who sees it. You don't care who hears what it is that you're, you're doing. And your face is just shining toward them because you love them. You enjoy their company so much that it comes out of your face. Smiling face is a grandpa's face. And as you get older... You lose a little elasticity with your face. It becomes a gumby face. You can do things with your face you could never do before. You have all kinds of ways to express a, a shining face to the kiddos as you get older. God's face shines with pleasure toward his people. He isn't angry with us or at least always just a little bit disappointed with us. He loves us, and he loves us so much that at the very thought of us, at the very sight of us, it puts a beaming smile on his face. Those ancient deities could never be pleased. They were always angry. You never knew where you stood with those ancient gods. You never knew what side of the bed they got up on that, that morning and what you were going to run into that day. And God wants us as his people to walk in the confidence that his countenance shines when he looks at us and he smiles when he looks at you and me. And I'm telling you, you could hardly believe it except that it's right there in the Bible, and thus it's true. There are those difficult times in life where no matter how difficult everything else is around me, if I know that he is pleased, I'm okay. 
I can stand alone in the whole wide world as long as I know he is pleased, and he is. Our God is a blessing God. He is a keeping God, and he is a smiling God. But notice also that he is a gracious God. They were to declare, and the Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord wants us as his people to be continually reassured that he is a gracious God, that he is a forgiving God, that he is a pardoning God, that he does not deal with us on the basis of justice but according to grace. I wish I was perfect. I wish I never did a stupid thing. I wish I never said a stupid thing, but I do on a daily basis. And and I need his grace every day, and he wants us to know that when we ask for it, he loves to give it to us. It is his nature. It is the way that he is. And until we get to heaven, none of us will ever outgrow the need to be constantly reminded of the grace of God. Peter wrote his final epistle before he went home to heaven, and he said, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't care how Christ-like we become, we will constantly need to be reassured of the fact that our God is a gracious God. And the Lord wants his people to be constantly reminded that he is a gracious God, that he is a forgiving God. And perhaps some of us here tonight have come wondering if God has grace for you. There is that something in your past that still haunts you. And no matter how spiritually mature you might become in all of this walk with Christ and all this thing raises up its head and wants to lead you into condemnation. And because of this and because it's the portion of all of us, God got a project when he saved us. He got a sinner when he saved us. We always need to be reminded of the fact that God is a gracious God. And sometimes the longer we walk with the Lord, the more conscious we can be of how much grace that we need. I think of the Apostle Paul. Early in his ministry, he declared himself to be the least of the apostles. Later in his ministry, he described himself as the least of all the saints. And then finally, very near the end of his life and his ministry, he described himself as the chief of sinners. And there's a funny thing about growing in the things of the Lord. You think sometimes it would just be a cause for becoming proud or less dependent upon God's grace. But sometimes as we grow in that Christ-likeness and grow in that relationship, we become even more acutely conscious of what our past sin has been and what it's done to others and even our current failures. Maybe there's some sin or failure from your past that you need to leave in God's hands once and for all here tonight in the hands of our gracious God. And having confessed the sin 
having repented of the sin, learned the lessons of that sin, any time for the rest of our lives that it exalts itself against the knowledge of God that we will be able to bring that thought into captivity and declare against it, my God is a gracious God. My God is a forgiving God. The New Testament speaks it just as powerfully, in fact, even more powerfully. When Paul declared to the church at Rome, and he said, for where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded, literally, grace hyperabounded. Do you know the word picture is related to that verse? It would be like me being on a California beach and building this sandcastle of my previous sin, and there it is. I mean, there, all of its ugliness right on the beach there, and it stands, and I wonder what in the world could wash it away and, you know, what degree of God's grace. And God sends in a wave of His grace that is so great that it not only takes out the sandcastle, it takes out the whole beach in the whole state of California, where sin abounded, grace abounded that much more. There is no sin that is greater than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. There is no sin in the life of a child of God that is greater than God's forgiveness, his eager forgiveness in our lives. Fifth, they were to declare, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In other words, our God is an attentive God. He's an interested God. To lift up his countenance or his face literally means to look, to see, to know, to be interested, to have one's full attention. Have you ever walked into a room where someone that you love greatly is already sitting in that room and they're already engaged in an activity? Maybe they're reading a book or they're reading a newspaper or they're involved in some kind of a puzzle at a table or something like that. But when they see you enter into the room, they put everything down and they give you their undivided attention. That feels really, really good when someone does that. And that is God's attitude toward us. The Lord wants us to know that that is what he does every single time we come to him. Indeed, it is his attitude toward us all of the time. And the Lord reminds us and wants us to be constantly reassured of the fact that we have his full attention. He's attentive to our lives. He's interested in our lives. He cares about our lives. He watches over us. He's concerned about us. He hears our prayers. And there are those times that all of us have when we can wonder whether he knows what in the world we're going through. And God knows that we can wonder that. And thus he reminded them on a daily basis that he does. And so he reminds us. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. It looked like God didn't know what was going on in his life. The trials that he went through, they went on for years. 
I don't like the word trials and years being even within the same paragraph as it relates to my life. These trials that when he was in, I mean, it looked like God didn't know, it looked like God didn't care, but God did, and God was orchestrating every single bit of it toward his end. Somehow he had to get Joseph where he was taking him in human history, but also had to develop Joseph's character for where he was taking him so that he could be successful once he got there. And to walk by faith and not by sight is going to require reminders in all of it that God is aware and that he is watching and that he cares. God wants us to be reassured of that. He puts everything down when we enter the room in prayer. Indeed, his constant posture is his focus fully and completely upon us. Our God is an attentive God and then six, they were declare and give you peace. Our God is a peace-giving God. The Lord wants us as his people to be confident that he is a peace-giving God. And the word is the Hebrew word shalom. And uh, I know some of you just got back from Israel with Pastor Joe, and we got back a couple of months ago. One of the first words you learn as a tourist in Israel is the word shalom. And it means peace. I have a, a woman, that, a dear sister in the Lord, that used to attend the church. So many people used to attend the church. Well, enough of my problems. But anyway, they moved to another city. She had this funny habit of when she would travel, that she would, wherever she would travel, what she would buy as a souvenir is the single tackiest thing that she could, saw on the trip. I came back from Israel my first time over, and I said, I know exactly what you'll buy when you go there. All over Israel were these tiles that said, Shalom, y'all. <laughs> so they must have a lot of tourists coming from the south of the United States. As a California boy, I didn't understand it at all. But to... When a Jew says hello or goodbye by saying shalom, they are desiring for the person not merely an absence of war or conflict, but it is a prayer for the general well-being of the person. To wish someone shalom would be to want the very best person, the very best for him in life. And the Lord wants us to be reminded that he desires the very best for us in our lives, and to realize that God will not only allow, that God will only allow into my life what is for my best results in a life of peace. It results in a life of rest. And sometimes the circumstances can be so difficult that it can hardly seem as if God is working them together for good, but he is, and time will reveal it to be so. Someone said this, God nothing does, nor suffers to be done, but what thou wouldest thyself do, couldest thou see, couldest thou see the end of all he does as well as he. Perfectly clear, right? Let me read it one more time. God nothing does, nor suffers to be done, 
But what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all he does as well as he. I have a dear brother who's gone to be with the Lord a little over a year ago. Lived into his 80s, late 80s. Walked with the Lord for 70 years. And he restated that saying this way. God answers all of my prayers the same way I would if I had his wisdom, power, and love. God answers all of my prayers the same way I would if only I possessed his wisdom, his power, and his love. I think that's just outstanding. If we only realized how concerned and active God is for our best, we would rest much more than we do. Our God is a peace-giving God. He only wants what is best for us, and he wants us to be reminded of that so that we'll rest in it. Now, notice in verse 27, God said, And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel. As you're well aware, as a Wednesday night crowd, most of you are aware of the fact that in Jewish culture, a name represents one's nature. And so here the Lord is telling them and telling us that all of this blessing is his nature. This is who he is. This is what he is from the highest authority, from the mouth of God himself. And to pronounce this blessing over them was to simply remind them of his nature, to be reminded that this is really what my God is like. And they needed, and I need, to hear it over and over and over again, and even daily, because we can tend to forget this about God so quickly. God is saying, in essence, this is exactly who I am and what I am to my people, not occasionally, not on special days, not once a week, not three times a year, but this is who I am and what I am all of the time. Moses, I want this to be pronounced over my people again and again and again, even every day, in order to remind them of it, because I know how easily they forget it. And then notice what is perhaps the most astonishing thing about the entire passage in verse 27. And the Lord concludes by saying, and I will bless them. That's a promise from God himself. Translation, Moses, you have Aaron and his descendants declare this blessing over the people. You remind them of what I am like. I want them to do some sanctified boasting in me, and when they do that, I will live up to every bit of these promises in the lives of of my people. In other words, don't hide this from them. Don't, don't uh, uh, qualify it. Don't hedge the bet related to that. Reassure them of it. Encourage them to be confident in it. And I myself will back it up. You say, 
wow. (laughs) And he does. And he will. You know the thing that reassures me in difficult times in my life as I look at the promises of God is the knowledge that he will never allow my life to make a liar of him or to disprove a single one of his promises. A few of his promises have looked a little iffy at the moment at times in my Christian life, but always way down deep inside, I knew and I know that he will never allow a human life to make a liar of him and his word. Our God is a blessing God. He is a keeping God. He is a smiling God. He is a gracious God. He is an attentive God. And he is a peace-giving God. That is his nature. That is who he is. And I, and may I declare it with some sanctified boasting this evening that he will be faithful to live up to every bit of it in each of our lives as his people. And so, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace, and he will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.